Well, if you have your Bibles, turn in them to Mark chapter 1. <clears throat> if you don't have a Bible, the verses of the Bible we're going to be looking at are in your bulletin, on the inside of your bulletin. We're going to be looking at um, sections of verses in the first chapter of Mark, starting in verse 1, going all the way through verse 45. So friends, listen. This is God's Word. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Verse 32, At that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And then verse 40, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter." This, friends, is God's Word. Verse 1 starts this. Uh, this is the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Uh, the word Gospel, you need to understand, it's not a religious word, actually. It's, a, it's even a political term or, or a news term. The, the word Gospel means good news. Okay, and so if you want to take notes underneath the Scripture, let me give you the first blank as we introduce Mark. The Gospel is good news, not good advice. Okay, It's good news, not good advice. That's the first blank there in your bulletin. The Gospel is an announcement of what has happened. Okay, It is not a religion. It wasn't a philosophy. Um, this was news that meant something. So tomorrow, if you turn on the TV, turn on the radio, check the internet, and we all heard, the Chargers are staying in San Diego. Right? The Qualcomm area is going, the stadium's going to be rebuilt, and the whole region over there is going to be redeveloped into a business and an arts district. Right? If the contracts were all signed, I mean, this wouldn't be an opinion about sports. This wouldn't be a philosophy of how to stimulate the economy in San Diego. It's not a suggestion about how you should feel about football. It's an announcement of something that is going to happen or something that has happened in San Diego that affects life. That's what Mark is doing in his writing here. Okay, that's what Mark's doing. That's what the gospel means. And so here's the next blank um, in your outline or in your handout. 
Um, The Gospel is not about what you should do. It's about what Jesus has done. Okay? This is news. This is an announcement, not of what you should do or how you should live, but this is an announcement of what Jesus has done. That's what Mark is doing here. That's why verse 1 says, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. Right? It's not about you, it's about Him. And so I want to start, uh, I want to share with you a video that illustrates what it means that the gospel isn't about what you should do, but it's about what Jesus has done. Okay, this is a video of a comedian named Steve Harvey, who I don't know how familiar you are with his work, but he has had a spiritual awakening in his life. And this, he's going to show us in this video how he would share this good news about Jesus. This might not be the way you would share the good news about Jesus, but this is how he would. And it's a great illustration. If I had the pleasure of bringing out Christ, this is just how I would do it. It ain't got to be the way you do it. You might not think it's just right, but this is how I would do it. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor to introduce a man who needs no introduction. finish it myself. (laughs) He can walk on water, turn water into wine. (laughs) Friends, this is news. This is news. It's not about you. It's about what Jesus has done. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what Mark means when he says this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Right? He's talking, this is good news, friends, and it's just the beginning. Like We're actually going to walk through the Gospel of Mark, and you're going to see exactly what he means by good news. We're going to look at that today. Um, before we actually look at some of the things that Mark has to say that are good news for us, I just want to ask the question, why should we believe Mark? Right? Why should we believe Mark? I mean, who is Mark, and why should we trust what he has to say about Jesus? Well, 
Let me just spend a few minutes, right? There's all kinds of evidence for the resurrection. There's all kinds of evidence that, that, that historians have, have shown, but I just want to talk about why, why we should listen to Mark, okay? What history teaches us is that Mark was the recorder or the secretary of the apostle Peter, okay? Now, most of you might know um, Peter was the leader of the 12 apostles that Jesus chose to, to establish the church. And so the gospel of Mark is actually the eyewitness testimony of Peter recorded by Mark. Okay, that's what the Gospel of Mark is. And so it's the eyewitness testimony of someone who knew Jesus maybe better than anyone else. But then even more importantly, you need to know that Mark signed this Gospel in his own blood. Okay? Because Mark wrote this gospel, because of Mark's position as a leader in the early church, Mark was tortured and killed by people who did not want to have Jesus' authority on earth. Okay? Mark was dragged to death through the ancient city of Alexandria by a rope that was tied around his neck. He was martyred because he was preaching not just about Jesus, but he was preaching primarily about the resurrection of Jesus. Now, why is that important? It's because Mark's message is not about the future. Okay? Mark's gospel is not about something that will happen in the future. Mark's gospel, the good news of Mark, is about something that happened in the past. Okay, this makes all the difference in the world. The reason that Mark suffered and died, the reason he submitted to torture and didn't stop, wasn't because of something he was looking forward to. It was because of his conviction about something that happened already. Okay? This is the difference between Mark and a suicide bomber. Okay? Hear this really clearly. A suicide bomber kills himself in the hope that he will receive blessings in the afterlife. Okay? It's a hope that he doesn't know for sure whether it's true or not. He dies hoping it's true. But for Mark, and for the people who wrote the New Testament, they died for something in the past. Okay? They actually knew whether it happened or not. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like they knew whether they were making something up. They knew whether they had just sort of invented this or if it was this sort of conspiracy thing where they missed Jesus so much that they said, well, let's just start a religion. Like they knew whether or not it was true. Do you see the difference? And what I want to offer to you today is that no one dies for something that they know isn't true. Okay, all kinds of people die in hope that they'll be blessed in the next life. That happens in lots of different religions, a lot of different philosophies, um, but no one, no one willingly submits to torture and sacrifices their life for something that they know isn't true. Okay, I like to say this the way it's in the bulletin. You can fill this in. Um, dying for the future is hope. Dying for the past is is proof. If you die for something in the future, that's hope. But if you die for something that happened in the past, your death is proof. 
We still have this book. We still have Mark's gospel, this good news. We're still reading it 2,000 years later because Mark wouldn't deny that Jesus rose from the dead and that hundreds and hundreds of people saw him. And so that adds weight, that adds meaning to what we have in the pages of Mark's gospel. And so with that, let's see how the gospel begins. Mark begins by introducing us to Jesus. And in these verses that we're going to look at today, um, the bottom line, what we see in this chapter, and this is the last blank there, is that good news renews. That's what I want you to know today, that good news renews. When it comes to Jesus and the good news of who he is, being introduced to Jesus is good news that renews. It changes lives. Okay? Mark is not interested in religion. Mark is not interested in philosophy. Mark just wants you to know Jesus, what he did, and what it means for you. He wants to introduce you to the real Jesus, and you will see that Jesus is good news, and this good news renews people. It renews relationships. It renews communities and even cities. And the story begins in verses 4 through 11 with a group of people who are actually, they're trying to get God to show up in their lives. Okay? That's the group that we find here in Mark chapter 1. And maybe some of you might feel that way today. Right? You want to see God show up in your life? Do you wish that you could know Him and know for sure that you know Him? Do you wish that you could see Him working in your life? I mean, back then, there were several answers that people would give on how to get God to show up in your life. Okay, here are just four of them. Some people said, look, obey all the rules, and then God will show up. Other people said, you know what? The problem actually is that we're oppressed by Rome, and we spend all this time resisting Rome. We just need to team up with Rome, team up with our oppressors, and then life will be better for us, and God will show up. And then you had another group that said, no, 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 the problem isn't to team with them. We need to kill them. We need to take up arms and overthrow the evil, oppressive government, and then God will show up and give us the victory. And then still finally, there's another group that said, you know what, we actually, instead of teaming with the culture or killing the culture, what we need to do is just leave the culture and go out and get religious. Let's go get really religious and God will show up. These are 2,000-year-old philosophies, right, that have no relevance today. (laughs) No, I mean, we're still trying to get God to show up in these ways. We think we need to earn it. We think we need to do something, right? And we don't know what it is. These things don't work. But this passage teaches us how you can get God to show up in your life. Okay, I love this. Look at verses 9 through 11. When God finally shows up, Jesus comes. He didn't go to any of these people. Okay, no, no, no. Instead, he showed up to the group of people who were at the Jordan River. And what were they doing? Verse 5 tells us, it says, they were, the last three words, they were confessing their sins. You see that? You see that? Man, it's worth putting up on the screen. Jesus showed up for the people confessing their sins. Now, confessing your sins, I get this, this sounds religious. You're like, wait, wait, hold on, I thought it wasn't leave the culture, get religious. No, no, no. Actually, what it means to confess your sins, these are the people who were simply being honest about their failings. These are people who knew they weren't perfect, and instead of hiding their imperfections, instead of acting like they were better than they really were, instead of hiding who they were, they were just coming clean about their imperfections, their weaknesses, the bad things that they've done. 
And these are the people that Jesus identified with. When Jesus came, he said, these are my people. I'm joining them. And God responds, opening up heaven and saying, I love you for this son. You're doing exactly what I want you to do. And so guess what? Friends, if you want God to show up in your life, this is where it starts. Look, no one is perfect. I am not perfect. So incredibly far from it. You can ask my wife. You can ask my kids. I mean, literally, like all of us. And Jesus just wants us to be honest. He just wants us to admit it, to say the same thing that he says about our brokenness, about our failures. And the biggest reason for this is because this kind of honesty makes you humble. Right? It makes you humble. It makes you the kind of person who doesn't think you're better than anyone else. Right? And this affects you as a person. It makes you humble. It affects your relationships. Because now you're not trying to prove that you're better than anybody else. You're willing in friendships. You're willing in dating relationships and marriages. You're willing in the family to go to someone and say, you know what? Okay, I'm hurt, but I'm not perfect either. And so let me make it easier for you by telling you, look, I know we're in the same boat. This is good news for a change. When you humble yourself and become honest, God says, here I come. Here I come. Now we can work together. You're now the kind of person that I want to use to work in the world. I know sometimes we get nervous about admitting things that we're ashamed of. Sometimes actually confessing, we think it's going to make us alone because we're the only one. But God What Mark is telling us here, he's saying, look, good news. If you confess your sins to God, you are not alone. Because guess what? Jesus is on your side. Friends, that is good news. That is good news that renews. Because even then, if you don't know what to do next with your life, even if you have no idea what does God want next, it doesn't matter because whatever you do, he's with you. He's with you. Well, Mark goes on to tell us then that Jesus, um, what he does for people that he identifies with, he begins to heal them. Right? In verses 32 to 34, we see Jesus healing the sick, the diseased, and the demon-possessed. Right? The whole city was at the house where he was. Have you ever wondered why Jesus does these miracles? It was just like a magic show in the first century? No, no, no. There was this purpose there was a pur- all the miracles had a purpose, right? This is what the miracles were for. Miracles were Jesus' way of showing what the world would be like if God were fully in charge. That's what the miracles are designed to do. They're designed to give you the little snapshots. It's kind of like Jesus reaches up into heaven and pulls heaven down to earth. And he shows you, you know what? If God were fully in charge, this is what it would be like. And so these miracles are these amazing pictures of what God has planned for the world. Now, thinking about that, you might be wondering, wait, wait, hold on a second. Then why isn't everyone healed? Right? Why doesn't God just heal everybody? Or at least all the Christians, right? I've heard stories of even Christians who pray and God doesn't heal. Right? They pray and pray and pray. Then groups of people pray for them and they still don't get healed. Right? That's a good question. If you wonder that, you're in good company. I have wondered that. I have struggled with that. I have 
why didn't, I've wanted to know, God, why are you like this? Why do you do it this way? Um, and so let me give you two ideas that can help you, I think, understand the Bible and its teaching on miracles and healings. Um, first, <clears throat> you need to know that not everyone in the Bible gets healed. Okay? Um, yes, lots and lots of people in the Bible are healed, but not everyone. Okay, the Bible is filled with people who aren't healed or cured. People who pray and don't get the answer that they want. And so, if not everyone in the Bible gets healed, then we shouldn't be surprised, right? If everyone isn't healed now. Okay, but still, that doesn't answer why some and not others. And I think this gets to more of the answer. Um, Second answer, or the second idea here is that not being healed also gives us a foretaste of what God wants to do with the world, okay? And so being healed is this amazing picture of the world if God were fully in charge, but so is not being healed. Let me explain this. Um, And to explain this, I want to share with you the story of uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, okay? This is a woman who, um, when she was 18, she dove, some of you know her story, she dove into a bay, into a, you know, and she misjudged the depth of the water, and she broke her neck and became a quadriplegic, completely paralyzed from the neck down. Now, she prayed constantly for healing. She had hundreds of people praying for her healing. She went to healing services. You know, she went to the miracle faith healers and had them, and, and she said, every time I met, especially Pentecostal people, they wanted to lay hands on me and pray for me and, and, and have me healed, and nothing worked. And as the months of paralysis for her turned into years, she slipped into anger and bitterness and depression because she wanted to know, God, why don't you heal me? But when she finally humbled herself, Jesus came near to her, even though Jesus never healed her physically. And after 46 years of living as a quadriplegic, paralyzed from the neck down, this is what she said. Okay, I'm going to read you a quote, and I'm going to show you a quote. She said this, Oh Jesus, thank you, thank you for a no answer to my request for physical healing. You really knew what you were doing so many years ago because a no answer to a request for my physical healing has purged so much sin out of my life, so much of my own selfishness, so much of my own bitterness, and I would not trade it for any amount of walking. What you have done for me, Jesus, is the deeper healing, and that's the real healing. Then she says this, God may remove your suffering, and that will be a great cause for praise, but if not, he will use it. He will use anything and everything that stands in the way of your relationship with him. So let God mold you and make you, transform you from glory to glory. That's the deeper healing, and you don't have to break your neck to receive it. So Mark says, this is good news, that when Jesus comes to people, he will heal them, sometimes physically, always, 
internally, spiritually. And these miracles, they show the power of Jesus. They show his power to come and to lead. But then the chapter closes as Mark sort of zooms in on one particular miracle so that we can see that Jesus isn't just powerful, but Jesus is also personal. He's not just powerful, he's also personal. And Mark wants you to know what it's truly like to have Jesus show up in your life. Okay, in verse 40, it says a leper came to Jesus. Now, leprosy was not an ordinary disease. Leprosy was, back then, it was the worst thing you could ever have. Because not only were you sick, but you were contagious. Anyone that you came into contact with could get this life-altering and life-ending disease. And what's worse is that because of that, if you had this disease, you couldn't go near anyone. And so the lepers were ostracized. They were kicked out of the cities, kicked out of the communities to be in leper colonies, right? That's what they called them. These are these places where these folks who had this disease could go off and die and leave the rest of the community safe. And so they were outcasts. They were the worst of the worst. I mean, I think today this might be really anyone who, someone who's gay or has HIV AIDS, like they feel this, especially in a lot of churches today where they feel like they've been, they have a disease like leprosy. They feel ostracized and alienated, like there's no hope for them. But I want you to see what Jesus does. This leper comes and he throws himself at Jesus' feet. He kneels to him. He's imploring him. Right? It, it, it's almost like he feels like he's got one shot at this. Like he's got one shot because if this doesn't work, they're going to grab him and who knows what they're going to do with him. They won't grab him, but maybe they'll take sticks. Or they'll do, they might stone him right there on the spot. And so he feels like this is his one shot. Do some of you feel like you've, got, you've given Jesus one more shot? Like you've come and you're wondering what this is about or you're saying, okay, God, I'm going to give you one shot. Well, let me tell you that Jesus is here ready to begin working in your life. Jesus doesn't want you to leave here without being changed by him. Look at what it says. The leper says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus, moved with pity, stretched out his hand, touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And Did you notice that it says before he spoke to him, Jesus touched him. You see that in verse 41? He stretched out his hand and he touched him. I mean, I think even maybe more than being healed, the leper felt the love of Jesus' touch. I mean, it's possible that it had been years since anybody would risk touching him. And what is good news that renews about Jesus is that Jesus didn't have to touch him. Jesus healed all kinds of people with just a word. Jesus healed people that brushed up against his clothing. But no, no, Jesus showed personal love. Jesus knew exactly what this man needed, and he touched him. He touched him. 
Jesus says, no, you are not an outcast. Jesus says, I love you. And today, Jesus knows exactly what you need. I know that what you need, for some of you, it's on the surface. For others of you, what you need is buried under layers and under pain. Some of you, it's under abuse. Some of you, it's under years of suffering. Like, I know your stories. Jesus is here to touch you today. He loves you. He knows you perfectly. He knows all of the reasons why you are the way you are. And he's here today so that you can know you're not alone, so that you can know that he loves you. In the way that the world normally works, this contact would have left Jesus defiled. This contact would have, you go from a clean person and a dirty person, they come to touch and you get two dirty people. But not with Jesus. Not with Jesus. Instead, when Jesus shows up in your life, the contagiousness goes the other way. Friends, this is good news for a change. Right? Not only do we need to hear good news for a change, but this good news changes us. It's good news that renews. And we become like Him. When you see Jesus love this man this way, oh, like how can we not? Like how awful has it been the way we've treated other people? And we think, my goodness, Jesus, you have loved us so personally. How can we not share that love with others? And so Jesus may not heal you physically. He may not fix the situation in your life, but he will show you a love and he will begin to heal you on the inside. And so he might not change your circumstances. Your circumstances might not change, but you will. But you will. He'll give you a strength and a, and a, and a love. Mark says this is who Jesus is. And I want you to see something else. It's one last thing. This is so powerful. It's so important. The, the former leper, he goes out and he spreads the news. Right? Verse 45. He went out and began to talk freely about it, spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. Right? So he's outing Jesus here. Let me talk about contagious, right? And as a result... Jesus couldn't go anywhere anymore without crowds flocking to him. And what happens? Jesus ends up out in desolate places. This is interesting. Jesus is forced to go out to the place where no one is. Friends, the forgiveness of Jesus is free. Okay? His grace is free. You don't have to do anything to be forgiven by Jesus. You have to be honest. That's it. Confess your sins to Him. He'll begin to work in your life. He'll begin to heal you, and He does it all for free. It's free for us, but it's not free for Him. Can you see what's happening at the end of this chapter? Can you see what's happening? The leper was outcast, and Jesus was in the community. 
They come together. The leper is healed. And after their encounter, the leper goes back into the community. But now Jesus is outcast. Now Jesus is in the place of the lepers. And so here in chapter 1, at the very beginning of Mark's announcement of the good news, we see a foreshadow of what the miracles and the forgiveness will cost Jesus. In order for Jesus to cleanse us from our sins, he will take our sins upon himself. He will die for us so that we can go free. Friends, this is good news. It's bad news for Jesus, but it's good news for us because Jesus didn't just come to do nice things. He came personally committed and he gave himself to the very end. Mark wants us to know that when God shows up on earth, this is what he's like. This is good news that renews. If you're here and you don't, you haven't put your faith in Jesus, if you're not a Christian, don't you want this man in your life? Don't you want him to be working in you? All you need to do is humble yourself, be honest about your sins, confess your sins to him, and he will come and begin to work. He died so that you could be forgiven. He died so that you would be free. And we are just getting started. This is chapter one. Right? And if it's this good, Mark would say, hey, it's going to get better and better and better. And so if you have an interest in this news, come back next week. Next week we meet at 10 a.m., not 9, 10 a.m. Come back because you're going to see that we're just getting started. And for those of you who are here and you're Christians, has the gospel stopped being good news for you? Have you forgotten who Jesus is? Let Mark remind you that Jesus identifies with the humble and the honest. Let Mark remind you that Jesus will work in you to bring healing and wholeness. And Jesus is willing to touch you personally and to take your sins upon himself so that you can have his strength and his cleanness. Share this news this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for coming and for showing us who you are. We thank you for working in our lives. And we are so committed to you, Jesus. Thank you for reminding us that this is what you're like. It's kind of like getting slapped upside the head. Oh, God, yeah, that's right. I forgot. Jesus, we're sorry when we forget and we think it's all about rules. We think it's all about do this and don't do this, but it's about you. Jesus, thank you for the assurance that if we're honest about our sins, that you forgive us. You cleanse us and you set us free. Thank you for the personal love that you show every one of us. Draw us closer to yourself and let this good news renew us so that we would share this good news this week. We pray in your name. Amen.